Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Overwhelmed. This week, lead pastor David Fossil talks about when our lives are seemingly overwhelmed with problems, whether it's family, marital, career, financial, or physical. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some principles that will help us navigate through the storms or problems in our lives. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. If you have a Bible in the chair in front of you, we're going to be on page 722, Luke chapter 8. Page 722, Luke chapter 8. We are continuing our summer series in the Gospel of Luke called Overwhelmed. Last week we talked about what do we do when we're overwhelmed with work. If you weren't here last week, go online and listen to that. This morning, we're going to talk about what do you do when you're overwhelmed with problems. With family problems, marriage problems, financial problems, physical problems, career problems. Every one of us have some degree of problems. Now, we become overwhelmed with problems when when one of two things happens. We either have one or two really, really big problems, and they overwhelm us, or we have two to three hundred small problems, and just the mass quantity overwhelm us. Either way, this morning we're going to look at some principles that I think are going to bless you and help you navigate through the problems or the storms that you encounter. The story we're going to read about is a story in which Jesus calms a storm and solves a problem for the disciples. We're going to start by reading it. I don't have it on the screen for you this morning, so follow along, or you can just listen to the story. It's just a couple verses. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out and as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and they woke him and they said, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith, Jesus asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. I'm going to try and give you four or five observations um, based upon this story and passage that are hopefully going to help you navigate through a storm or deal with issues and problems. But before we do and get into the text, I'm just curious, how many of you, by a show of hands, have seen the blockbuster movie created by Hollywood based upon this story in Luke chapter 8? How many? Just show of hands. Very few. Very surprising. It's first service either. What I want to do is I want to show you 30 seconds of a clip based up, of a movie based upon this story right here. Watch it on the screens. Peter says a bad word. We had to bleep it out. See how we did that? And just as they go up, then they go get Jesus. Actually, not that heavy. It was Perfect Storm, right? <laughs> this movie, Perfect Storm, was based upon a true story, the Andrea Gale, that got caught in a storm. And uh, I just kind of bumped into this clip uh, during the week, and it reminded me... 
You know what? None of us like being in a storm normal. Now, don't say anything we've experienced here in Northern California is actually a storm. But if you grew up in Kansas during tornado season or in the Midwest during, during you know, thunderstorm season or East Coast, now those are some storms. It's not fun being in a storm on land. Can you imagine being on one of these storms at sea? This is what the, the disciples are experiencing. And my guess is that some of you are too. Some of you are here today and you feel like the water's coming in, the boat's going down, you're about ready to sink because of some of the issues and problems that you're facing. A couple things that I want to draw your attention to. If you're jotting down notes, here's the first observation. You have to realize that sometimes it's our very own obedience that leads us into these storms. Did you notice in verse 22 whose idea it was to get into the boat? It says, one day, Jesus said to his disciples... It wasn't the the disciples who decided to get into the boat and to cross the lake. No, it was his idea. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, this lake is the lake or the Sea of Galilee. It was given various names and terms during the day because of the many different cities that surrounded it. It is a 13 miles wide. And what they are actually doing is a massive undertaking. Because they are trying to cross the Sea of Galilee at the most difficult time in the day. Late afternoon, early evening. You also have to remember they are not getting into a boat with a motor on it. This is a makeshift combination rowboat and sailboat. It seats about 16 and as best as we can tell it was going to take them most of the night to cross over. Now, in the days of Jesus, Jewish scholars and rabbis would teach that anytime you find yourself in a storm, anytime you're in the midst of a problem, the reason for that is that it's your fault. You messed up. You sinned, and God's spanking you. What I want to draw your attention to is, whoa, whoa, not so fast. Maybe not. Maybe the only reason you are experiencing a storm is because you did what the disciples did. Jesus said, let's get into the boat, let's cross to the other side. So, they got into the boat, they set out, they did just as he did. Some of you may be experiencing a storm right now, not because you did anything wrong, but because you did everything right. Because you are trying to please God, you are trying to obey Jesus, and and something happened. A storm came up. And what we're going to see as we continue to go through this is God, he does not take you. He does not take us into deep water to drown us. He takes us into deep water sometimes to teach us or to stretch us. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. Now, how do you know if the storm that you're in, the problem you're in, is just the result of you doing what the disciples did, just kind of obeying God or, or something else. Well, that kind of leads us right into, into the second observation. If you're jotting down notes, write this down. You need to identify what type of storm it is. Identify what type of storm. Now, if you continue to read the story, here's what you said. It says, as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Just real quick. This is one of the best stories pointing out for us the two different forms of Jesus. Jesus was on the one hand 100% man. In fact, he was so much man that after a busy day, he conks out on this boat. He is tired. He's pooped out. He's been doing ministry and teaching all day long. He's tired. And then right at the end of the story, we see that Jesus was also the creator of the universe, able to calm the sea and calm the storm. In four or five verses, you see him being both man and both God. Philosophers and theologians over the years have tried to mix these together and figure out how does this work. Now, you can either be confused by it or just trust that God knew what he was doing with Jesus. 
100% man, 100% God. So he falls asleep at the bottom of this fishing boat. And then we read this. It says, a squall came down onto the lake so that the boat was being swamped. Now, this is a word, squall, we don't often use, but it refers to a specific kind of a storm that was very, very normal even to this day in the Sea of Galilee. If you ever get the chance to visit Jerusalem, if you ever get the chance to visit Israel, do it. Okay, don't be afraid by all the things going on there. There's always things going on there. I went when I was in college. I went to all over, I was there for three weeks. Went to the Sea of Galilee. One of the interesting things when you get to the Sea of Galilee is they explain to you, they give you the dimensions, 13 miles wide and so many miles you know, long and so on and so forth. But what is unique about the Sea of Galilee is that it is 600 feet below sea level. Now, what happens here is really, it's, it's a meteorological explanation. Because it's 600 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains, what happens is that when warm air comes down and meets the cold air that's at the, the basin uh, of, of that lake, that mixture of cold and hot air creates a storm that is referred to as a squall. And what that results in is tremendous amounts of wind late afternoon, early evening, every single day at the Sea of Galilee. Happens every single day. Now, depending on the day, sometimes that windstorm really develops and you end up having one of the storms that we have here in Luke chapter 8, where the boat is about ready to sink. Now, that is a physical, meteorological explanation of the storm. That's not what I want you to do, however. I want you to determine what kind of spiritual or practical storm you are going through. Let me explain. Let's put it on the screen. There are five different kinds of storms I want to make you aware of. The first storm, if you're jotting it down, is a storm of correction. A storm of correction. Now, this is a storm that is the result of my mistake and my sin. So let's just say that I'm late to work. I'm goofing off on the job. I take long lunch hours and I get laid off question whose fault was that it's not my boss's fault it's my fault right and i might find myself in a difficult financial situation now i might be in a storm whose fault is it it's my fault it's a storm of correction if i sin and disobey god if i step outside of his will if i'm going further and further away from him every once in a while he's going to allow a storm into your life now why is he trying to do that he's trying to course correct you and get you back to where you need to be Sometimes the storms in our life are nothing more than the result that I messed up. I, 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 you know, I committed a sin. Now, sometimes we don't see it. Let me, let me explain it this way. Let's pretend you're walking in the woods. You see a bear, and this bear has their, their leg trapped, trapped in, 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 in you know, one of these hunter traps. And you want to help the bear, but it's dangerous. He's upset, and he's growling. So you decide you're going to go get a tranquilizer gun and, um, and to, to kind of calm him down so you can help him. So you come back, and, and you, you get to where the bear's at, and you point your gun at the bear. Question, what's the bear thinking at that very moment? Oh, crap. I'm going to get shot. All they want to do is hurt me. Who is this dude trying to hurt me? Right? So you shoot the bear. You know, he gets groggy. He falls down. Now you go over to the bear. And to release his leg from the trap, you actually have to push the leg further into the trap to release the tension. Now, if that bear is semi-conscious, the bear's thinking to himself and for sure convinced all you want to do is hurt him. Because he experienced a tremendous amount of excruciating pain at that moment. You're trying to help, but from the bear's perspective, all you're trying to do is hurt him. Some of us have that very same situation happen with God. We think all he's trying to do is hurt us. 
He's not trying to hurt you at all. He's trying to course correct you. Yes, there's a storm in your life. Yes, there's issues and challenges and problems. He's trying to get you back on track. He's not doing it because he's upset at you. He's doing it because he loves you. And some of us right now are experiencing problems and issues in our life because we have a storm of correction in our life. Now, the next storm is a storm of association. It's very close to the first one, but just a little bit different. Notice, this is the result of someone else's mistake and someone else's sin. Jonah chapter 1 is the perfect story. Do you guys remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to, 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 to reach the Ninevites, right? And, and Jonah goes, I'm not going to Nineveh. He gets on a boat and he heads the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish, which is actually Spain. So he's going in the opposite direction. So what does God do? God brings a storm onto his life. But what's fascinating is that Jonah isn't the only one on that boat. There's all other sailors on that boat. And when you read the story, what you see is that those sailors suffer financially. Because you remember, they have to throw the cargo overboard to keep the boat from capsizing. They suffer emotionally because they're scared to death. They suffer physically. Question, did the sailors do anything wrong? They didn't. But they had someone close to them, Jonah, and he messed up. And because of Jonah, that rain was affecting them as well. Some of you right now are in a storm of association. You've done nothing wrong, but someone close to you messed up. Sometimes someone in our family messes up, but the whole family suffers. Sometimes at a place of employment, one person, the boss or someone else, messes up and everyone hurts. Sometimes in a church, one person messes up and it affects everybody. You maybe did nothing wrong, but you are in a storm of association. Someone else close to you did. And that's why you're going through what you're going through. The next one, the only way I know how to say it is an impartial storm. What is an impartial storm? This is really a Genesis 3 storm. This is the idea that we, the result of living in a fallen world. The Bible tells us that we are living in a broken, fallen world and bad things happen to good people. And it's not this person's fault or that person's fault or your fault or my, it's no one's fault. It's just, you know what? We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And sometimes you can't, you can't point at anybody. Some of you have get caught these last four to five years in the, in the crosshairs of a financial crisis. And, and you look back at what you did financially and you're like, I, you know, I don't think I did anything wrong, but I'm suffering right now financially. And, you know, we just live in a world that's kind of fallen, you know. And kind of messed up. Sometimes that happens. The, the, the next storm is a result, uh, a storm of persecution. It's a storm of persecution. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Now, I know most of you personally, and I know that all, you want the first part of that verse. Everyone who wants to live a godly life, the problem is a lot of us don't like the second part of the verse, will be persecuted. It's a guarantee. Now, this can be as severe as in some parts of the world as losing your life, or it can be as, as, as maybe not so severe as, you know, I, I'm teased at school for being a Christian, or I got overlooked for a promotion because I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, it can go from both extremes, right? But you can count on it. Have you realized by now that we live in a world that isn't always happy about the idea, in fact, that you want to try and live for Jesus? Have you realized that by now? You're going to have some pushback. And when you do, if it develops into a storm, just understand. 
You're, you're, you're in a storm of persecution. Now, the storm in Luke chapter 8 is the last one. It's a storm of perfection. It's a storm of perfection. It's the result of God's desire to deepen your faith. We know this is the storm because in, in verse 25, Jesus, immediately after he resolves the problem, starts talking to them about their faith. Where's your faith? You see, this was part of the day's curriculum. This was part of their lesson. He was trying to teach them about the power of God and what God can do in and through them. Like I mentioned earlier, when God takes you into the deep water, he's not trying to drown you. Sometimes he's just trying to develop you. And the best way we are developed is when challenges come our way. Let me explain it to you this way. I like chocolate chip cookies. I really do. Uh, My favorite chocolate chip cookies from the store are Chips Ahoy. But if I had my choice, I would have homemade chocolate chip cookies every single time. How many of you here make homemade cookies from scratch? Okay, April 12th is my birthday. Don't forget that. Chocolate chip cookies. I love homemade chocolate chip cookies. You bring them out of the oven, right? You let them rest for 10, 15 minutes. They're still warm. You get a nice big, you know, cup of, you know, a glass of milk. And you have, you're supposed to only have two or three, but I always end up having like five or six and everything. And, you know, I love chocolate chip cookies. But when you make them from scratch, there's something very, very interesting. You know, I'm not much of a cook, but you stand next to the person who is cooking, you know, what are they going to be done? And, and you're standing there and you, there's two, two items, a couple items that are really tasty by themselves. The chocolate chips and the sugar. That's sweet. But then there are other ingredients of chocolate chip cookies. They taste like turtle spit. <laughs> Not that I know that what turtle spit tastes like, but it is quite an image, isn't it? Right? Some, <laughs> some of the other ingredients in chocolate chip cookies, shortening, baking soda, salt, and raw eggs. Who wants that? But the most fascinating thing happens is when you take these really good, tasty ingredients and you take these ingredients that don't taste good and you, and you stir them together and then you put them on a pan and you stick it in an oven at whatever, 300 plus degrees for X amount of minutes, you pull it out and you got these delicious cookies. Do you realize that that's what God is trying to do in some of your lives? You see, what he does is he takes something good about you. And every one of us has something good in us. And then he allows for a storm to come into our life. Some bad things and some ingredients that don't taste good. And then he mixes them all together. And he puts you inside of an oven for a couple weeks. And gives you problems and issues. And then the goal is to turn you into Mrs. Fields. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to develop you. He's trying to stretch you. Now... Here's the key. And I'm spending a lot of time here because this is important. You're going through a storm. Identify what type it is. Once you know what type it is, you're almost there to figure out what to do. Let's just go through it real quick. If you are right now in a storm of correction, in other words, you messed up somehow or another, what do you do? What's your action step? Fix it. Or confess it. Or change it. Or stop doing it. That's the action step. Change. What happens if you're in a storm of association? Now, this one's a little bit trickier. Because sometimes you, you can't avoid, you know, family members that, you know, mess something up. Right? But in some cases, you can. Some of us may have to make the decision, you know, there's certain friends I'm not going to hang out with anymore. Because every time I'm with them, something not good happens because of what they're doing. It's a storm of association. That's your step. What about if you're an impartial storm? You just kind of live in a fallen world. What do you do then? Oh, a couple suggestions. You, you can either ride it out. What does that mean? That means just tough it out. 
Tough it out. Hang on. Ride it out. Or you can row your way out. In other words, yeah, you got stuck in this financial crisis. Fight. Keep fighting. Trying to make that dollar stretch. Do what you can. So you ride it out. Hang on. Or you row it out. Fight. You know? You know? And, and try and get out of this mess. Or you put on your life preserver and your life jacket and you jump ship. I'm not kidding. You jump ship. You know, like the great philosopher Kenny Rogers once said, you got to know when to hold them and know when to. You got to know when to fold them sometimes. You know, I'm not kidding you. You got to have the wisdom. Where do I go, right? What do I do? There's those three options. Ride it out, row it out, or jump ship. What happens if you're in a storm of persecution? The only reason that you're in, involved in this problem is because you're living for Jesus. What do you change? Nothing. Don't change anything. You're doing exactly what God wants you to do and you're getting hammered for it. Do it anyway because you're going to get reward on the back end. Don't change a thing. In fact, if you change something, guess what might happen? Now you just step out of one storm and now God's going to give you a storm of correction. Now you were doing exactly what I wanted you to do. Okay, what about the last one, the storm of perfection? Trying to figure out what is he trying to teach you? What is he trying to teach you? There's something he's trying to teach you. So, we spent a lot of time here, but this is important, okay? Identify what kind of storm it is, okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 24, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is don't hesitate to ask for help. The disciples went and they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. Now, let me tell you something about the disciples. I know you already know this, but let me remind you of this. This is a group of guys who is in the inner circle of Jesus. They have a privileged position, front row seat, for every single sermon he preaches, At the end of the day, when Jesus is done with ministry, they have a reserved seat in the minivan that's going to take them to Motel 6, and that's where they're going to stay before they go somewhere else. They have a privileged spot. Second of all, 11 out of the 12 are from Galilee. This is their stomping ground. Most of them are fishermen. In other words, they, they've spent time on the Sea of Galilee. You know, they've, they've gone on youth group trips where they went boating and, and on the Sea of Galilee. They've, they've water skied, you know, they've skipped stones and They've been fishermen there. So they know all about these, the, these storms, these windstorms. They know what to do. They know what area of the Sea of Galilee to avoid. They know what city to get into when they're in deep trouble. They understand it. Here's what I don't understand. Why did they wait so long to ask Jesus for help? I mean, they wait till the last possible moment. The water's coming in. The boat's going down. They're about ready to jump ship. Maybe we should ask Jesus for help. Why did they wait so long? Why do you and I wait so long? We've talked about it as staff. Um, you know, we're here to try and help. And one of the things that we've, we've dialogued about is how to help couples and marriages. Because one of the frustrations as a pastor is so often we hear about marriages that are struggling at the very end when it's so bad there's very little we can do. Why aren't we a little more honest on the front end? Saying, you know, maybe there's some issues i got to work on. Uh, uh, idea? Every marriage has things they got to work on. Every single one. And you're playing games if you think you don't. Why do we wait so long to ask for help? Possible ideas with the disciples. One, they, they were just trying to, just let him rest. He's had a hard day. He's tired. Right? Option number one. Option number, number two, I'm not waking him. He's going to wake up any minute now. 
I mean, this is not Jesus sleeping in his cabin on a car- carnival cruise line ship. This is him sleeping at the bottom of a wood boat. It's rocking back and forth. The wind's making noise. The water's coming over. He's getting wet. The disciples are yelling at each other, John, get the bucket. Let's get the water out. It's mass pandemonium. They're thinking he's going to wake up any moment. But he doesn't. Option number three. Other Gospels has this very same story. And in Mark... He tells the story, chapter 4, and he adds a detail that is not in the, in the Gospel of Luke. He tur- turns Luke chapter 8, verse 27 into a question. So what Mark suggests is going on here is this. The boat's going down, and the disciples come to Jesus, and they say this. Don't you care that we're about ready to drown? Don't you care that my marriage is falling apart? Don't you care that one of my kids is doing stuff and I can't bring them back in and it's driving me crazy? Don't you care that, that I, I'm, I'm stretched financially, I don't know what to do? Don't you care that my body is breaking down physically? Don't you care that I am broken emotionally? Don't you care? Ah, don't bother Jesus. I mean, you know, God's, he's, got a, he's got a world to, to, to manage He's got missionaries to take care of. He's got churches to run. You know, he's got economies around the world he's trying to turn around. He's got the drug cartel problem in Mexico he's trying to fix. He's got the AIDS epidemic in Africa he's trying to resolve. He's got all these major issues. Don't bother him with your little stuff. Is what Satan is going to whisper into your ear. He absolutely cares. And he wants to know what's going on in your life. And he wants others to know. So that it's called being human. So that we help one another. Let, let me explain it to you this way. Let me ask you, give you a little health quiz, okay? I need your input here. How many of you here have ever broken a bone and had to have a cast? Put your arms, okay, very good. Okay, how many of you here, something has happened to your leg or to your feet and you've ever had to be in crutches in public? Put your arms Okay, very good. Last question. Last question. How many of you here have ever had stitches? Put your hands up. Okay. Ooh, my goodness. A lot more injuries second service than first service. Okay. For those of you who just put your hands up, how many of you have had 30 stitches or more at one time? Put your, okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look at these people. Look at these people. You're the reason our health care is so expensive. It's your fault. <laughs> Has nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to point that out. Here's my point. <laughs> Here's my point, okay? When something happens to us physically, we break an arm, have a cast on. We show up to church to work in crutches, right? We have a bandage because of, uh, because of you know, stitches or something. What, what do we do to those people, to our friends, our coworkers? Oh, my goodness, what happened to you? Yeah, I know, I was on the motorcycle this weekend, or you know, I was at skiing in Tahoe, and I, I took a turn. Yeah, you know, something happened at the house, I misstepped. And we tell them the story, and we're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, how long are you going to be in the cast? Oh, yeah, they got me in here like for three, four weeks, or so. I can't do anything, you know? And we show them empathy, and we encourage hang in there, you know? And then we say, if there's anything that I can do to help you while you're, you know, you know all jacked up, then, you know, let me know. We show them some, some encouragement. Here's the problem. When my bone is broken, you are likely to encourage me. 
But when our hearts are broken, you can show up on Sunday morning and the people around you don't have a clue that your ship is sinking and it's going down. You're sitting here feeling alone and no one knows. And because no one knows, no one encourages. Could I, could I give you a suggestion? The Bible says this in, in the book of Galatians. It says, carry one another's burdens. You know what that means? That means when my life's sucking out, you encourage me. It means when your life is taking a turn down, I encourage you. It's, it's why the Bible refers to us as a family. Well, I'm kind of new to the family. So what? You're in. It's what's called being a congregation. When you help someone out. Could I just give you a little suggestion? Especially second service folks. Don't run out of here too quick. If you're here today and your boat's sinking and you've got an issue and a problem that feels overwhelming to you, and I know many of us do, could I just encourage you before the service ends, just go over to that room right there. It's called the prayer room. And there are going to be people right there that are willing. If you just tell them 30 seconds what's going on in your life, they'll put their hand on your shoulder and say, let me pray for you. That's called being a church. Being a church. At the very least, remember that Jesus says in the book of 1 Peter, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Don't ever let Satan convince you that you aren't important enough for, your, for, for, for the problems. Don't ever let him convince you that God doesn't want to hear. He wants to hear. Don't hesitate to ask for help and don't wait till the very last minute. Let's be a congregation. Let's be a church. Let's keep moving. Fourth thing I want to encourage you to do is realize that the greatest storms tend to be within us, not necessarily around us. Toward the end of the story, he calms the storm, um, and, and, and Jesus says this, where is your faith? Where is your faith? He asked his disciples, and now it says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another. Now, I, I draw your attention to that specific word, fear. Do you guys remember the movie uh, Monsters, Inc.? Remember that movie? Especially if you had kids, you took your kids to watch it and you enjoyed it just as much as they did. The movie Monsters, Inc. is about a world that is fueled by fear, right? In fact, there's this factory that monsters work in and and, and the motto for the factory is we scare because we care. And so the story is about two monsters, right? Mike and Sully and all these other monsters. And and, and what they are doing is they are transported through a portal and, and through doors, and they end up in, in late at night in the rooms of little children. And, and if they do their job correctly, they, they scare the kids, and they get the kids to yell and to scream. And so then, then these monsters, they package that yell and scream, they take it back to their world, and that's their fuel. I know a lot of people that live in a Monsters, Inc. world. A world that is controlled by worry and by fear and by anxiety. You know what's pretty interesting? I mean, uh, Joy and I, we try and plan out what we're doing as far out as, as possible. Uh, and it's, sometimes it's interesting. We don't even plan this. But something like this topic, fear, worry, and anxiety, do you realize it's come up every other week for about two months now? Do you realize this? It started back in the series, Christian Atheist, when we had one whole week talking about worry and fear and how that is not how God wanted you to live. And so many of us sat here and we said, yeah, that's right. 
God really doesn't want me to do that. I need to change my ways. It's not only affecting me, it's affecting others around me. We said that to ourselves. We made promises and commitments and we did nothing about it and continued to live in a Monsters, Inc. world. Several weeks after that, we had a sub point where we were also talking about worry and fear. And again, we listened and we agreed and we said, you know what? Worry is a sin. I need to trust God more. I need to get rid of that anxiety. And we went and we did nothing. And God brings it up to you again. How many times does he have to bring it up before some of us get it? Sometimes the greatest problems, the greatest storms are within us. Not around us. Not outside of us. See, the issue is you can't control always the, the, the storms that are around you. You can't. Because it's other people causing it. And what, but you can control what goes on inside of you. And I want to challenge you. Don't let this worry, anxiety issue fade away. Deal with it and fight it and work at it and live your life in a way that is pleasing to God. The end of this verse says this, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Last observation, make sure Jesus is in the boat, but also make sure you know the Jesus that is in the boat. Okay, I was expecting a little more. Oh, that was so profound. So let's try that one more time. You guys ready? Make sure Jesus is in your boat, but also make sure you know the Jesus that is in your boat. Bunch of fakers. (laughs) You know, I know a lot of church-going folk that got the first part right, but they don't have a clue about the second part. Don't you find the question rather strange? You go, what? Thank you. One person found it strange. I think something else is going on there. They're playing like their video game. They've been with Jesus now for seven chapters. Luke writes in a chronological order. So by chapter 8, let me give you an idea. The disciples have seen Jesus raise someone from the dead, heal two people from critical illnesses. They've listened to countless sermons and parables. And yet when Jesus does something as seemingly small in comparison by calming a storm... They end up by asking the question, who the heck is this? You mean you didn't know? I thought you knew by now. You've been with them for seven chapters. And I know a lot of church-going folk that think that. They, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a Jesus follower, but we really don't know him. It's what the Bible refers to as discipleship. An ongoing process of deepening your faith as you read God's word and you learn about him and you learn about yourself and you grow. You grow. It's crazy important for us to learn how to do that. Having said that, some of you need to make sure you do step number one. Make sure Jesus is in your boat. You remember I told you how the Gospel of Mark also tells the very same story? Chapter 4, Mark, adds one little detail. When I did a cross-reference this week, blew me away. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's put the verse on the screen. It says this, leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along, just as he was, put him in the boat. There were also other boats with them. Then a furious squall came up, the waves broke over, and so on and so forth. You have the rest of the story. Wait one minute. What do you mean there were other boats with them? 
Well, you see, what had happened is that Jesus had preached a sermon. He'd been doing ministry all day long. He was like, Dude, guys, I am so tired. Can we, can we leave the crowd behind for a couple hours? Okay, let's get in the boat. Let's head across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Except some of the crowd were smart. They also had boats on the beach. They had little dinghies. So they got in the boat and they followed Jesus. There were other boats with him on the Sea of Galilee when the storm hit. So now I have a question for you. When the storm comes... Which boat do you want to be in? Do you want to be in the disciples' boat where Jesus is? Or do you want to be in the other boats? Kind of an obvious answer, don't you think? Oh, if I'm going to be in a storm, I want Jesus in my boat. The problem is some of us haven't done that yet. It's what the Bible refers to as salvation. What is salvation? It's two things. It's one, a decision. It's a decision to trust Jesus. It's a decision to place your faith in Jesus, to believe he died on the cross for your sins and gives you forgiveness for your sins in eternity with God. It's a decision that you make, but it's also a commitment. It's a commitment from this day forward, I'm going to live for Jesus. From this day forward, I'm going to try and obey Jesus. From this day forward, I'm going to live a life of faith. It's both a decision and a commitment. And I want to challenge you. Some of you are not going through a storm right now, but you will. In about a month or three months or a year from now, this is not me being negative, it's me being realistic. You will go through a storm. You're going to want Jesus in your boat. Maybe today your step is, I'm going to make sure he's in my boat. We're going to wrap up our study time uh, with a special song. I'm going to have the band come up. I know they're sitting all over the place. As they're coming up... Um, I want to read you a, a quick poem. It was written by a 14-year-old girl. And uh, I think this girl qualifies as having gone through a storm. Um, when she was seven, her and her family were living in Panama. And, uh, her family was a missionary there. Guerrillas from Colombia crossed the border. They kidnapped her dad and two other missionaries, and they took them into captivity. For seven years... At the time that she had written this, they knew nothing of where the dad was and whether he was even alive. Uh, Growing up without a dad and having to go through that as a family, like I said, I think that qualifies as being part of a storm, don't you? She writes this poem, 14-year-old, her name was Dora. There once was a man, a man I once knew, who told me stories every night and laughed at my jokes and held me tight. He told me, don't quit, always fight the good fight. He said, love the Lord with all your heart, serve him with all your might. He begged me, do right. There once was a man, a man I once knew, who taught me how to tie my shoe. He smiled gently at every picture I drew. He told me, when you start something, don't stop until it's through. And he said, I love you. There once was a man, a man I once knew, I saw him in my dream and it made me scream. I called out, Daddy? But he told me nothing. He had nothing to say. For what can you say when you're far, so very far away? Daddy, I said. Then a voice echoed inside my head as I lay quiet and still on my bed. Again, the voice. Your daddy made a choice. A choice to serve me with all his might. To not give up and fight the good fight. He's doing a job for me and it's not yet through. Just remember, I too love you. There's now a man, a man I now know. 
He lived and died to save men for their sins. He made it possible for us to be born again. I know because my daddy told me so. And even though he's no longer here, my God will always be near to fill the gaps and show me which way to go. I miss my dad so much, but God has a plan. So for now, I'm just going to wait and watch the work of God's hand. There once was a man, a man I once knew. He's now just a memory, slowly fading away. Dead or alive, you ask, I don't know, I say. So I beg you, pray, pray, pray every night. My daddy knows, I whisper, Daddy, I love you. There now is a man, a man I now know. Every day, every day he becomes more real to me. Every day I grow. Every day I pray my love for him will show. I have made a choice to serve him with all my might. To not give up, to fight the good fight. Here on earth I may not see my dad again. That's all right. Because when my life on earth is through, I'll finally hear them both say, My child, I love you. Let's listen to this song and then we'll talk. I've seen miracles just happen. Silent prayers get answered. Broken hearts become brand new. That's what faith can do. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here today and you said, David, I, I feel like I'm in that boat. And the water's coming over. My boat's sinking. If you're here today and you feel that way, I, I, I wonder if you could just real quickly raise your hand so I could pray for you. Just put it up real quick. Many hands. Anyone else? Put it up so I can see. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would encourage those right now that are going through that storm and they're trying as best as they could. Now they have some ideas on what to do, but in the meantime, they're, they're hurting and they're struggling. Father, I pray that you would give them your wisdom. Show them what to do. Father, I pray that you would give them courage to keep fighting in the midst of the storm. Father, I pray that you would give them your faith. That they would trust you. Give them enough faith just like you gave the disciples to take one step at a time. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here today. And you're not sure Jesus is in your boat. You're not sure if you've ever really taken that step to trust Him, that decision to trust Him, and that commitment to follow Him. If you would like to do that this morning, I just want to encourage you to pray this very simple prayer in your heart to God. Dear God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I trust Him for the forgiveness of my sins believing that he has the power to change me, to make me new and to clean me. Because he was God, he proved that by not only calming the storm, but coming back from the dead. But I don't only make the decision to trust you. Dear God, this morning I, I make the, the choice to, to also to follow you and to obey you. To live my life in a way that is honoring to you and pleasing to you. I both make that decision and that commitment, and I make that today, this morning. 
as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder just if you prayed that prayer, I wonder if you could just slip your hand up so I could see and pray for you as well. Slip it up. Three hands, four hands, anyone else? Five, six. Very good. Anyone else? I see those hands. Okay, you can put them down. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who made that decision and made that choice to make sure you were in their boat. Father, we leave here today having reflected on the problems and storms that we're going through. Father, I pray that we would take one nugget of truth that we could apply today that could give us just a little extra energy, a little extra wisdom to know what to do. Father, I also pray for those of us whose lives are going fairly well. Give us the eyes to look around, to look around and see co-workers, to see friends at the health club, to see people that we we drop our, our kids off to school with, people at church, that we would see that maybe something's not going right and to ask that question and to take the opportunity to try and encourage them and to try and carry the burden with them a little bit. Father, I want to thank you for this church and I want to thank you that it's full of caring people that desire to do that. I want to thank you for your word that is so incredibly practical week in and week out. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.